Might be on. There we are. Perfect. Perfect. Good morning. It's good to see you. Those of you who are joining us online, welcome. Those of you who are new guests, welcome to Wellhouse. My name's Steve, and I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, it's my privilege to be with you this morning. I hope that you've had a really good week. Uh, we just started a new series we're going to jump into in just a few minutes called At War. Uh, really excited about that. I've heard from several of you this week as, as you kind of meditated on some thoughts from last week. It's like, ouch, that, that really smarts. And uh, I'm going to tell you today's sermon is one where you're going to have to like tuck your elbows in. Because if you're sitting next to a spouse or a friend or a child, you're going to want to be tempted to kind of like elbow them and like, are you paying attention to this? And you're, you're going to be te tempted to like text somebody who's not here and say, hey, listen, jump online real quick. You need to hear what's going on. Share this. But I'm, I'm just going to let you know, they're thinking the same thing about you. They're really hoping that you're paying attention today. Uh, strap in. It will be a bit of a bumpy ride, but we're going to make it through the end. But I want to let you know a couple of things uh, at the beginning of uh, our time together today. Just a few announcements uh, that we do have. There's multiple ways to get plugged in here at Wellhouse. Uh, we want people to belong to a family. Uh, we know that that's critical, that everybody wants a place to belong. And we uh, strive to be a family that genuinely cares uh, not only about God, but about each other. And so there's several ways to do that. We have a summer Bible series where you can grow in community and also become like Jesus as a part of our DNA. Uh, and it happens every Thursday uh, during the summer at 10 o'clock at the Goodlessville Library. Uh, we just had our first one this past week. It was a great conversation, a lot of a lot of good insight. So we encourage you to come on out, be a part of that. Uh, Another thing that's happening that we really want to encourage you to be a part of is something called a day for good. We are partnering with the city of Goodlettsville, uh, several organizations and individuals in Goodlettsville. We have several uh, business sponsorships that are going to be sponsoring that day, uh, having shirts for all of our volunteers. And we're going to be doing a lot of really great service projects throughout our community. And what's really cool about that is Wellhouse gets to lead the way in that. And I know many of you have already signed up and said, hey, listen, I'll be a job foreman. Uh, but what we want to encourage you to do, here's a couple of next steps for you. So write these down. If you've not yet registered yourself or your family, make sure you're a part of a Day for Good Facebook group. Make sure you're a part of that and then go ahead and register your family for that. It's really quick. It'll only take you about three minutes tops. Uh, really easy to do. And then invite somebody to be a part of that. So if you know somebody who uh, wants to do good in the community, a great opportunity there. Don't forget uh, that coming up in just a couple of weeks, we're going to be going as a church to uh, the Nashville Sound. So whether you like baseball or not, or uh, whatever, it, it, maybe you're just going for the hot dogs and company, whatever it is. If you're going for hot dogs, that's weird, but hot dogs and company, okay. Uh, whatever it is, we'd love to have you out. If you want some tickets for that, make sure you see myself or Chris. We'd love to have you out for that. Don't forget, next week is Father's Day. Next week is Father's Day, so it's not too late to buy that dad in your life a nice tie or something nicer than that. Also, we want to let you know uh, giving is just a part of our DNA. We consider ourselves wildly generous. I've not done this here at Wellhouse before, uh, so I'm going to take a time out from the normal schedule announcements to tell you um, there's a need that I know of uh, from somebody in our community, and um, they need some help, financial help. Uh, and so if you feel inclined to, to help them out, 
would you see me today? Okay. If that's not for you, that's okay. But if you feel inclined for that, would you come see me today? Um, I want to jump into our series uh, at war and uh, kind of catch us up. If you weren't here last week, I want to catch you up to kind of what we were talking about. And, and this, this idea of idols or idolatry is something that we kind of dismiss uh, as being archaic or old-fashioned, or maybe you see yourself as, you know, like, I'm not, I'm not bowing down to anything in my life. I'm, not, I'm certainly not made anything of gold or wood or have it sitting up in my house, and I'm not, you know, praying to it or going to it or any of those kind of weird things. So I don't have any idols in my life. But we talked about this idea last week that we do have things in our life uh, that become idols. In fact, idolatry is anything that you hope will give you or anything that promises to give you what only God can give you. Anything that you hope is going to give you, anything that promises to give you what only God can give you. That's adultery. And we talked about as we kind of closed out our thoughts last week that idols are often formed when we take good things and elevate them to the most important thing. So sometimes in our lives, the thing that becomes idols are things that we would say, no, 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 that's good. That's good. We, we look at our relationship with our spouse and, and then all of a sudden it becomes a, a form of idol. And we've taken a good thing and we've elevated it to the most important thing. We've replaced God with another human being. We look at our family. We love our family. We, we want what's best for our family. But eventually, if we're not careful, even our family becomes an idol. Our job can become an idol. Money can become an idol. There's lots of great things that, if we're not careful, can become the most important thing, and it becomes an idol in our life. Today, if you're joining us, I encourage you to to jump on over to the Old Testament book of Daniel. Um, it's not one oftentimes that we talk about, although I will say this is like the flannel board uh, uh, kind of story. You know, if you grew up in church with flannel boards, then you recognize that that's probably how some stories were taught to you over time. And there's several flannel board stories that happen in the book of Daniel. Today we're going to be walking through uh, this idea of self as idol. That, that ultimately, one of the things that you and I struggle with the most is that, th that ourselves, our identity, our image, our self can become an idol. And there's this guy in the Old Testament, his name was King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar was one of the, the greatest kings of all time at, at that time in the world. And, and he made a great name for himself. And he was well known and had just about everything at his disposal. And yet we're going to find, starting off here in Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 1, that King Nebuchadnezzar had a problem. And here's where we find the problem, starting in verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. Ever been there before? There you go. So you can identify with King Nebuchadnezzar. So the king summoned the magicians and the enchanters and the sorcerers and the astrologers, all the people who kind of were in the know, all the people who could kind of figure out the mysteries of life. He gathers them together to tell them what he had dreamed. And they came and they stood before the king and he said to them, I had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. 
And then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we'll interpret it. And the king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you don't tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I'll have you cut into pieces in your house, turned into piles of rubble. But you tell me the dream and explain it, and you receive from me the gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream, and then we'll interpret it. Come on, king, listen. It's going to be hard enough for us to try to interpret your dream, but you got to at least tell us what it was first. We don't, we don't know what your dream was. And the king answered, I'm certain that you're trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I firmly decided. So if you don't tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You've conspired to tell me uh, and tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I'll know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however, great and mighty has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except for the gods and they don't live among humans. And this made the king so angry and so furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. Now think about that for a minute. So the degree was put the wise men to death. And the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. So the king has a dream and he's troubled by this dream. It's bothering him. He knows, I listen, this, there's something important. And then he decides, I don't want somebody just to interpret it for me. I want them to tell me what it is and then interpret it for me. And if they don't do that, I'll kill them all. Now, I don't know about you, but does that seem just a little bit unfair? How many of you think this is a little bit? Imagine for yourself that you're, you, you show up to work and your boss says, now listen, I have a task that's ordered uh, that I really want you guys to do today. I want you to guess what it is and then do it. And if you don't do it and you don't guess what it is, you're fired. How many of you be like, no, no, wait a minute. I don't mind doing what you want me to do, but I have no idea what it is that you want me to do. You got to tell me first. Here, Nebuchadnezzar falls for the idol. Uh, let me tell you, as we begin to explore this, you're going to begin to see this just a little bit in your own life. The first thing is this. When self is an idol, you'll create unfair expectations for those around you. When self is an idol, you will create unfair expectations for all of those around you. Let me break it down to show you how it happens in our life. That's Nebuchadnezzar's story. And I understand that we, we're not the king. We don't have subjects and magicians and enchanters around us. But here's what we do have around us. We have spouses. And sometimes the, the, the idol of self causes us to put unfair expectation on our spouses that they'll make us happy. Oh, you're not fulfilling all the needs that I have. And, and, and these are the needs. You should be doing all those things. You should be checking off all the boxes and making me happy because, well, I deserve to be happy. 
And all of a sudden, we begin to look at our spouse as meeting my needs and making me happy as, as though that's their number one goal in life. When really, when we put God first, everything else falls to it. But when we include self as an idol, we begin to create unfair expectations for those around us. Maybe it's not your spouse. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's living up to the standards that you have set for them. And all of a sudden, you have these expectations that they're not meeting. You become disappointed in them, right? And you're frustrated by it because they're not meeting the standards that you've set for them because yourself has become the idol. And you don't see it. You see it as their fault and their unwillingness when really it's about you. Maybe, maybe idol of self looks like this. It's the unfair expectations that come from friends or people or churches. You ever been there before where you're like, I can't believe nobody's ever reached out to me. I've, I've, just, I've been gone for weeks. Nobody's checked up on me. I went through this thing. I went through this really hard, difficult thing, and nobody ever reached out to me. But sometimes when we put ourselves as an idol, we begin to have unfair expectations of those around us. But the story of King Nebuchadnezzar is not finished there. It keeps on, and, and really what, what happens next is that Daniel comes and he prays. He, he consults with all of his, his friends on this issue, and he says, all right, listen, why don't we pray? Why don't we ask God to give us insight into what the king's asking, and maybe God will reveal it to us, and that's exactly what happens. And so Daniel prays, and God gives him a, what the, the king's dream is, and so Daniel approaches the king and says, listen, don't put anybody to death. Here's the dream. The dream really is going to be uh, th that there was, a, there was a statue, right? And the king's like, yeah, there was a statue. And he says, over time, this statue was demolished by a rock that was cut out uh, of the mountain, not by human hand, but by God. And this, this huge monumental statue is eventually demolished. And here's what the, king, uh, here's what the king's dream means. It means that, listen, you're on top now, but you won't be on top forever. And you would think to yourself, wow, he not only knew the dream, but, but he hit it head on. I mean, this is pretty, this is pretty amazing that he, he not only interpreted the dream, but he got it word for word. I mean, he knew exactly what the dream was. And you might begin to think to yourself, oh, wow, that's really impressive, that's, that's, that's really, uh, maybe I should take note of that. Maybe, maybe I should steer clear of, you know, I don't know, big statues and thinking that I'm really that important. But what's interesting is as soon as Daniel is done telling him his dream, what happens next? Those of you who know the story, I don't know. King Nebuchadnezzar says, you know what? I'm going to build a huge statue. And I'm going to have everybody bow down to it when I tell them to. And that's exactly what he does. And so everybody around, is, as they hear the, the playing of a certain kind of music, is supposed to go down to this huge statue and bow down. The problem is that not everybody does. Therefore, we have a problem. 
There's a couple of guys that we read early on in Daniel chapter one, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they, they refused to bow down. They said, listen, we have one God that we're going to bow down to. We, we don't have other idols in our life. We're not going to elevate anything else. Even if it makes us look good in your eyes, we're just not going to do it. And there's this interesting, interesting dialogue that happens in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, as they tell him, listen, we respect you, king. We believe our God will save us, even, even though you're threatening to kill us. But even if he doesn't, there's no way we're going to put another idol in the place of our God. We're just not going to. Daniel chapter 3, verse 19, this is what happens there. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious. This is the second time in just a couple of chapters that he comes enraged. He's furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. Ever watched somebody's attitude change like that before? Like things were going, they, they might have been a little tense, and all of a sudden something happens, and they snap, and you know, uh-oh, this is bad, Right? And he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. I remember growing up, and my dad was generally pretty even keeled. It not a whole lot upset him. But when the, when the switch flipped, it was like there was no consoling him, right? There was no turning back. And it was like a bull in a china shop, and things just got wrecked, right? For no apparent reason. You know, walk in the room, destroyed, right? And it was like, everybody just stay out of dad's way. And here's what King Nebuchadnezzar was doing, right? All of a sudden, his attitude shifts, and he's like, you know what? Burning isn't bad enough. Let's just go all out of control, and let's get that thing so piping hot. Listen what's happened. He comes back and he orders the furnace heated seven times higher than usual and commands some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. Hey, the, the people who are the strongest in my army, I want them to do the job. And here's what happens. So these men wearing robes, trousers, turnips, and other clothes were bound, thrown to the furnace. And at the king's command was so urgent, the fire so hot, the flames of the fire killed the soldiers that threw the three men in. Did things not spiral a bit out of control? Because Nebuchadnezzar could not take the confrontation. He couldn't take that somebody saw something different than him. He couldn't stand it that somebody challenged him on a thought or an idea or a belief that he had. And so his wrath came against him. And here's the deal. When self is an idol, those who dif disagree with you become the targets of your wrath. You ever found yourself needing to apologize and not really even sure what happened and it was like you flew off the handle for no good reason? It might be that you've put yourself as an idol and that when things don't go your way, when, when people challenge you or things don't, don't go the way that you expected, all of a sudden your wrath comes unglued and people around you are collateral damage. And this is what happens when we put ourselves as an idol in our lives. And so oftentimes we would never say, oh, myself is not an idol. I think bad of myself all the time. Yet you 
really, really want things to go your way. And when they don't, there is literal hell to pay. But the story of King Nebuchadnezzar is not done. Nebuchadnezzar winds up having another dream, and Daniel winds up interpreting this dream. This happens now twice. King Nebuchadnezzar continues to see God at work. This is so interesting, and I think it's so telling of us as humans, right? Daniel interprets the dream and uh, the first time around and tells him what it means and all those things. And, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar says, wow, man, mighty God you serve. How about let's resurrect something, and I want everybody to bow down to it. And those people who don't, who honor God, well, I'm going to try to kill them. But God saves and goes, wow, man, you guys serve a mighty, mighty God. He turns around, has another dream. Daniel interprets the dream. And the dream really is that Nebuchadnezzar needs to acknowledge that God is sovereign and there's nobody above him. Not even Nebuchadnezzar. But Nebuchadnezzar is full of himself. And he can't let that go. So Daniel interprets the dream and he says, listen, what's going to happen is if you don't acknowledge that God is sovereign, that God's in control and that you need to be humbled and God needs to be elevated, then eventually what's going to happen is you're going to be living out in, in the country like, like some kind of wild animal and you're not going to be restored until you recognize where God sits in your life. So one day, Daniel chapter 4, verse 28, the, the dream is explained, and all, about a year later, chapter 4, verse 20, it says, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, and 12 months later, after the dream is interpreted, the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, He's looking out at everything his eye can see, and he realizes that everybody bows to him. He gets everything he wants in life. If he desires something, it's right there, and, and everything is thriving the way that he thinks it should be. And he says, is this not the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty. It's me. It's all about me. It's all for me. It's all because of me. It's all about me. And he's built himself an idol of him. And this is what's interesting. Verse 31, it says, even as the words were on his lips, even as he's saying these thoughts, a voice came from heaven. This is what I decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority is now taken from you. You'll be driven away from people and you'll live with the wild animals. You'll eat the grass like an ox. Seven times will pass or seven years will pass for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anybody he wishes. And immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from the people and ate, like grass, like a, uh, ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven, which is what's happening to me today because it's hot up in here, yo. It is hot. It's like a tent revival. I don't know what's going on, man. We need some lemonade. 
I'm not looking forward to this week, but hey, it is what it is. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like feathers. I hope that doesn't happen to me. Uh, of an eagle and his nails like the claw of a bird. And eventually, listen to this. Listen, this is important. Eventually, if you become the idol, it will wreck you. Right now, it may be going well. Right now, it, you may look out and you say, oh, finally, everybody's, I've, I've, I've manipulated and I've coerced and I have controlled and things are exactly how I want them to be. Well, let me tell you, you better not speak those words out loud because there is but one ruler on the throne and it is not you and it is not me. And Nebuchadnezzar had to learn the hard way for seven years, the Bible says that he's out like a wild animal eating, eating grass like ox, right? I can only imagine the farmer of that field. He's probably, you know, paying money like, come look at old King Nebuchadnezzar out here with feathers and claws and eating grass. And he's making his money, you know, off of this wild guy. But eventually, eventually, God redeems him but not before he has to learn a valuable lesson. And I don't know about you, but as I read this story, I think, man, why didn't he? I mean, Daniel was there and he interpreted the dream and he reminded, he was like, listen, don't think so highly of yourself, King Nebuchadnezzar. Unless you recognize that God is sovereign and he's in control, he's gonna humble you. And it's not even 12 months later that, that all of that is past him. And he looks around, and he's like, man, I'm great. I'm good. I've done everything I think I should do. And I, and I am the person who benefits from all the things that I have done. But this is the problem of self. See, when self is an idol, you will dismiss the warnings of the wise for the desires of your heart. When self is an idol you will dismiss the mournings of the wise for the desires of your heart. And here's what's interesting about the Bible over and over and over again. We're warned about our heart. We're warned about keeping it pure. We're warned that our heart is not always in tune with the things of God. And there's things inside of us that, man, we really, really, really want things that, that a certain way, at a certain time, at a certain presentation in our life. We want it to happen now and we want it to happen this way. And if we're not careful, and if we don't seek out wisdom from other people and truly listen, this is hard, but truly listen and take it in. We'll dismiss the warnings of the wise for the desires of our own heart. It's one of the hardest things about parenting, isn't it? Those of you who have teenagers and, and they kind of, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Ever been there before and you think, man, I've told my teenager that a million times. Somebody else comes along and tells them and they're like, hey, mom and dad, somebody told me this idea. You're like, yeah, I've told you that about a million times. You never listen. And somebody else tells you and all of a sudden it's a great idea been there before. Yeah, yeah. It's frustrating when somebody dismisses the warnings of the wise, and guess what? That's a part of your story, too. I bet if I followed you around, there'd be some people who say, man, I've tried to tell them a million times. They haven't listened yet. 
And I don't know if they ever will. Because it's not the desire of their heart. So be careful not to dismiss the warnings of the wise for the desire of your heart. Band, if you'll come back up on the stage as we kind of close out some thoughts together. This story with Nebuchadnezzar isn't over. Uh, and what happens is for seven years, Nebuchadnezzar is out grazing and eating uh, all the grass and, and he's a spectacle, right? And he's removed from people and he's kind of scorned. But then after seven years, and I don't know why it takes him seven years, but it takes him seven years and he finally cries out to God and he says, God, you're sovereign. God, you're in control, God, I don't know what I was thinking, that it was all about me and my control and the things that I wanted. It's about you. And so Nebuchadnezzar tells the story that God redeems him and he restores him. And in fact, Nebuchadnezzar goes on to say uh, in, in chapter 4, verse 36, at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. And you think, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, Nebuchadnezzar, don't. Don't start talking about you and your glory again. And just when you think it's about to take a turn, he says this, my advisors and my nobles, they sought me out. I was restored to the throne, became greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify, not himself. See, he could have filled out, I praise and glorify me like I used to do. And he says, no. I'm going to praise, exalt, glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. Here's what's crazy. I know you don't really believe this, but you can fool yourself into believing that all your ways are right and everything you do is just. And I know that sounds absurd right now, but think about your interactions over the last week. Was there ever a time you're like, you know what? That wasn't the right way to handle that. That, I wasn't treating you justly in that. I, listen, I need to apologize. I need to ask for forgiveness because I started expecting too much from you and that's on me. I'm sorry for acting out. I'm sorry for giving you my wrath. That's on me. See, sometimes we fail to see that there's only one who does everything right and just and it isn't us. And he says this, and those who walk in pride, this is the great takeaway. Those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. It's like a warning call that King Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, listen, there was a time when I had it all. And I thought I was untouchable. Look at everything I created. Look at everything I did. And he has to acknowledge, no, 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 no. When you're full of yourself, sometimes God has to humble you. The last thing today, the last thought is this. When self is an idol, intimacy feels like a threat. When people really know what you're really like, they start to worry. Because sometimes idol, self as idol looks like image is idol. And as long as you have it all together, you know, you, you know you don't have it all together, but as long as people see that, that they think you have it all together, that's good. 
that becomes an idol in and of itself too. Where intimacy, where sharing, where being open and talking about the things that we struggle with feels like a threat to us. As if somebody would say, oh man, I can't believe they don't have it all together. Of course you don't have it all together. Who does? Who does? But all of a sudden, the intimacy of that feels like a threat. And so today, I want to close a little different than what we normally do. And I just want to take some time and be honest. Listen, I don't want the idol of, of self to be so great among Wellhouse that we can't d- desire and, and have intimacy with each other where it feels like a threat. And so today, if you are in need of prayer from anything, healing, depression, maybe you're struggling in life, and you're like, man, I don't know what direction to turn Maybe it's this idea of like, okay, I can recognize in my life that I've been really quick to dismiss some wisdom and God, I just need help to know how to do that better in my life. So I don't crave the desires of my heart, but I can seek out wisdom from God. Then listen, this is the time for you. And I don't want to walk away from this space today with you feeling like intimacy is a threat. It's an invitation to a deeper relationship, not with God, not just with God, but with a family of people who loves you dearly, who you can trust, who will be here to support you, encourage you, pray with you. And so if you need prayers today, we're just gonna take some time. There's some chairs up here. If you wanna pray by yourself, if you wanna grab somebody and have them pray with you, if you wanna walk towards the back, you can do that too. If you're at home and you need prayers, grab somebody and let's take some time, folks. Listen, to pray, pray against the idol of self that becomes so a part of who we are that sometimes it's so hard to recognize. Something in all of us we need to kill. So as our band sings this song, and you need prayer. Let's do that today.